Well, I have to say I am not a crier, but I have cried this entire retreat. <laughs> so maybe I am a crier. <laughs> I was thankful, first of all, that we weren't doing music before the workshop because I cried through all of last night's and all of this morning's. And then here we are. But let's go ahead and turn to Philippians. That's where I want us to look today. All right, so a little introduction about myself. Um, she mentioned that I do teach at Faith Baptist Bible College. Very much a privilege that the Lord brought us to Iowa. Um, several of you may know me and know my family as we were missionaries with Baptist Church Planters for quite a while and went around and raised support and we're in many of your churches and had the opportunity to share Sorry. that burden with you. I haven't had a chance to talk about this for many years, so I apologize. But God saw fit to have my husband um, have carbon monoxide poisoning. And it's been 12 years, so I should be over it. <laughs> should be able to talk about it, but he changed our lives drastically. And we... We moved to Texas, and my parents were missionaries in Brazil. And they had just finished their church plant in Texas and had turned it over to a national pastor. And they said, you know what? I think we're going to come back to the United States. I think the Lord is leading us to come back here and live with you and help you raise your kids. And so they moved with us to Texas. And we chose Texas because they were from Brazil and they wanted warm weather. And they didn't want California because it was weird, was their thought. <laughs> They didn't want Arizona because it was too dry, and so um, they didn't want Florida because it was too humid. So I guess Texas was the perfect kind of combination of all of those. So that's where we were at for several years, and we very much enjoyed our time there. We had a lot of time to kind of get used to um, how Dave was doing and adjustments that needed to be made there. And we thought we were going to be there forever. I even had the nursing home down the street picked out for us so that we could just move from one place straight to the next one and um, knew it would be kind of a nice move. But God didn't have that for us. And he started about, probably about four years ago, giving me a burden for young teachers after um, he couldn't work and we were down there in Texas and eventually it was time for me to start getting a job because he was able to be home by himself for a while. And so I went back into teaching. I graduated from Faith Baptist Bible College with elementary education and um, pursued a teaching position there. I was very nervous because it had been a long time since I'd taught and I knew that all the terms had changed, you know, all the acronyms, they changed those up all the time. And so I was going back in as an older lady coming back to teach where all these young ladies were coming in, but God provided the perfect place for me. And I was able to teach in a dual language program. So our students learn Spanish and English at the same time. And that was a very neat opportunity to be able to use the Spanish in the background that God had already given us. 
And so we were there for quite a while, and then I had a student teacher come into my classroom, and I didn't know it. She showed up that morning, and they said, hey, you have a student teacher. I was like, yay. <laughs> so we worked through that, but God was able to then start giving me a burden for young teachers and those who would be going into the um, Christian school and public school and be able to help them know how to train these kids and how to know how to um, work with parents and a variety of things like that. And I started getting the burden to then train these young ladies. And I remember talking to Dave one day and saying, you know, wouldn't it be cool if someday God would lead us to faith to teach? And he just looked at me and he was like, what? <laughs> I said, well, it's just a thought, you know, some idea way out there that maybe God would do that someday. And he goes, oh, okay. And we didn't talk about it for two years. <laughs> that was the end of that. You know, it freaked him out a little bit. Excuse me. And so then uh, probably about two years later, we were talking with my parents because our kids were getting older. They didn't seem to need um, us need their help quite as much. And so they said, do you think you'll be in Texas for a while? And we said, well, we have no idea. That's our intent. And they're trying to decide what ministry God would have for them next. My sister was constantly bugging them, saying, hey, you need to come live, live by me in Wyoming. It's my turn now. And so they were trying to decide what God would have for them. And my husband brought up, well, I think eventually Melissa would like to teach at Faith. I was like, really? That was like two years ago, a suggestion, and we never talked about it. And so it was just a thought that we kind of had in our minds. And then about two years after that, I get a call from Dr. Stupka, and he says, we have a position available for you, and would you be interested in teaching at Faith? And we both looked at each other, and we said, no way. There's no way we can do that. <laughs> after all of that, you know, my parents had just finally purchased a house in Texas. They'd been looking for about seven years, and they just purchased it three months before. And we thought, well, we can't leave them here. They came here to be with us. Why would we leave and leave them here in Texas when they don't really know anyone else? But God had already been moving in their hearts. And as soon as they heard us say that, well, we think maybe God would have this for us, they said, oh, that's fine. We'll sell our house and move to Wyoming. So <laughs> very easy for them. I think this is like, what, move 50 for them? So as missionaries, they'd move so many times. It wasn't a big deal. So God really worked that out. So all that to say, that's the little intro to where we are now that God has us at Faith Baptist Bible College, and it's been a big transition. God gave us many, many things on our checklist of why he wants us here, and I think he gave us all of those because we keep going back and looking at it and saying, are we sure this is the right place? Is this really where God has us? Well, there's like 50 things that he gave us to show us that. And we appreciate that he was so gracious to give us all of those. So, moving on to then Philippians 2. And I want to start with this picture. When um, we were still traveling around as missionaries, Dave would take the kids on different trips with him. And he would take just one at a time. And this happened to be Tyler's turn. He's the one in the middle. If you were here this summer, he was also here as the activity he helped Willie with a lot of the activity stuff. I think they called him T-dubs, something like that. <laughs> anyway, he's Tyler to me. And um, it was his turn to get to travel with Daddy. So they got in the car, and they traveled to Pennsylvania. And we lived in Ohio at the time. 
And they were going to meet with a pastor that was interested in Spanish ministries, because that's what we did. We helped churches start Spanish ministries. And he had all of his bags packed, and he was ready to go probably two hours before day was ready. And he was sitting at the door just waiting for his turn to go on this trip. And they ended up going to Pennsylvania and having a good time with this pastor. And um, he ended up being a vital part of our ministry eventually with Baptist Church Planters. But when they came back from that trip, they were both exhausted. Dave didn't remember how much it was tiring to have a little five-year-old, I think is about what he was in this picture, with him doing everything together and just having that constant interaction. And he said, I didn't know he could even talk that much. (laughs) I think he talked the entire trip to Pennsylvania (laughs) because he was one-on-one with daddy. So um, when they got back, he was just exhausted. So he said, you know what, I'm just going to take a quick nap, and then I'll get up, and then we can, you know, unpack bags and stuff. Well, he took a quick nap, and he didn't wake up till the next day. (laughs) And we thought, well, you know, this is just very tiring for him, etc. Well, eventually that day turned into being too tired to get out of bed for three days. And then it was a week. And then it was two weeks. And then eventually it was three weeks. And we were trying to figure out what in the world is going on? Why is he so tired? He had had mono previously at the beginning of our marriage. But it wasn't anything quite like this. And so after week three, we decided we better go to the doctor and figure out if there might be something wrong. So we went to the doctor, and she did all this blood work, and she couldn't find anything. And she said, well, I'll send you to... And I can't even remember what all it was, but it took us two years of going to doctors and back and forth and the kids going with us and taking their homeschool books into the doctor's offices and church families would have the kids come over every once in a while when we'd go to another appointment. And we were almost to the end of those two years and we still had no answers. We'd spent an entire week at the Cleveland Clinic, nothing there. They tried infectious diseases because he'd lived overseas, all kinds of things, no answers. So finally we decided, well, let's test our house for mold. We've heard of that being issues before. And so we um, found a gentleman who could test the house for mold and he was down in the basement testing and all of a sudden he just starts swearing. And we run down there to figure out what in the world is going on. And um, he's like, your, your flue pipe, all of the carbon monoxide is coming up through your house instead of going out your house. He said, you don't have mold, that's not an issue at all. He said, but this is definitely an issue. And he said, this could be what's causing some of your problems. And he gave us a card for a doctor at Johns Hopkins University that was an expert in carbon monoxide poisoning. And we contacted him immediately and um, he ended up prescribing an oxygen treatment that he could take and blood work that they could do where they tested the blood going into your heart and out of your heart and compared the two. And that's what showed with all the carbon monoxide still in his blood. And um, when he prescribed the oxygen treatment, we were so excited. Like, we finally found something because all of these tests, you know, it's, it's depressing when you still don't feel good and you keep going to the doctor. And they're like, you're fine. You're healthy. You're fine. And we're like, we're not. <laughs> and he's going to the hospital with um, heart attack kind of symptoms. And So many times in the middle of the night, he got to the point he was driving himself there because I couldn't get the kids up every time. And um, so finally, we find this maybe solution, and they give him the oxygen tank, and he starts taking this oxygen, and all of a sudden, he's doing great. 
And we're like, praise the Lord, this is the answer. We can get back into ministry. And, you know, God is doing all of this. And he was good for about three weeks, and then it all came back. And so we called the doctor back one more time and said, okay, is there a second treatment? <laughs> is there something else that we do after this if they all come back? What's the next step? And he was kind of just very solemn, and he said, no, if it comes back, that means it's permanent. And he said, you need to start thinking about disability and dealing with it. And so that's where God led us next, was then to pursue disability. And for some reason in Ohio, we had all kinds of issues with it, but it was time for us to move, so we moved to Texas. And God just opened the doors, and pursuing disability went through very quickly and easily. And there was a man that had actually, that was a doctor that was interviewing us, had actually seen the same symptoms before in someone else, but he got struck by lightning. So I guess same kind of thing happens, I'm not sure. But um, that ended up going well. So as we're sitting there thinking through all of this, we're looking at each other going, okay, now what do we do? You know, he's in bed most of the time, eventually got a pacemaker, so his heart rate was over the 20s now, because before it was under 20. And he was barely doing anything, barely could really breathe. I would wake up at night and just listen just to make sure he was still breathing. And so we're sitting there thinking, what do we do with our lives now? What does God have for us? And we thought, well, we can't really have people over. That's too exhausting. You know, we're, we want to reach our neighbors, but that involves, like they've said, it involves you being involved in their lives and having that time to really build that relationship and for them to grow. Okay, well, we have our kids. Well, we need to send them to school so they don't, aren't in a sick house all the time where it's kind of depressing. And we just looked at each other and we thought, well, I guess we just be faithful. We just keep praying. We just keep reading our Bibles. And we just keep loving the Lord. That's all that we really have. And so I want to challenge you today that sometimes... That's all you have. You don't have strength for anything else. But you can be faithful. You can still love the Lord and serve him. And I see here in Philippians 1.29 where he tells them, he's telling the Philippians, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Some of you are probably going through the same thing. Maybe you're suffering, but that is still God's hand upon you. That's what he's given you, and you can still be faithful, and you can still serve him. And you can see later on in the chapter at the very end where um, he turns to the Philippians and he says, I wanted to be faithful despite all of these trials. So in Philippians 2... Um, let's see. Oh, it's 129. I'm sorry, I lost my place here. He, he expresses his desire to be faithful, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So even though we may be um, going through life and not sure what he has for us, we still... 
Thank you for changing that slide for me. He still is guiding and directing us, and we still want to make sure that our run is not in vain, that we're still doing what he has for us. And so uh, through Philippians 2 here, you can see several things that, God, that Paul encouraged us encourages us, but mostly God is encouraging us to live our lives so that our lives are not in vain. And the first thing I want to show you here is how can we stay faithful through trials? Well, first, we can be rid of self. And when you're going through struggles and tribulations and trials, it is very easy to be selfish. It is very easy to feel overwhelmed with whatever struggle you're going through and to feel like you need other people's help and that Everything kind of centers around you. And there is a portion of that that's very true. We do need other people, and it is difficult. But we have to be very careful not to become selfish. So being rid of self is hard to do, especially in this culture. And even as I taught in a public school, there was always the idea of you are the most important person. You know, whatever you put in your heart to do, you can do it. Just try hard. And here are some of the quotes that you'll see. The most important time in the world is the time you make for yourself. That's what the world tells us. And they say, you need to take that time for yourself, especially women. That's huge for women. And then the one, self-love, love yourself. But look at the little girl there. She believed she could, so she did. Now she's in timeout. <laughs> or in my house, now they would have gotten a spanking, right? This is what we start believing some of those things, and we start causing even more problems for ourselves because we're focused on ourselves and we're becoming more and more selfish. I remember when the kids were little, um, when they would finally go down for a nap, which Tyler kind of always messed that up for me, but he didn't like to sleep, but the others did. And so when they'd go down for a nap, I'd be like, yes, now I'm going to get all these things done. So I'd run around and try to get everything done, and then by the time they were awake, I was tired, and I wish they were sleeping longer, and so now I was cranky because I did all this stuff instead of resting myself. And um, God had to show me that I was actually being selfish with my time. Instead of resting, which didn't seem half as productive as getting things done, I was doing things and then not being the mother that I needed to be for them when they woke up and when they were ready to go. And so putting away self and really looking towards what God would have for us. And then there's the whole aspect of maybe being wise in our own opinions. Sometimes we talk to people and they're godly and they give us godly advice and then we're like, they just don't understand because it wasn't what we wanted to hear. And being um, willing to take advice from others that are, is godly advice and really listen to it. And it may be something we don't want to hear but it may be something we do need to hear and we need to change. And then also, sometimes I think of our kids and consequences, consequences that God allows in their lives. And sometimes we become little helicopter moms and we try to take those consequences away from them or try to make them not as quite as difficult for them. But God put them there for a reason. He needs them to learn those. And when we take those consequences away from them, they're not learning the lesson that they need to. And so we become wise in our own opinions, thinking that we know more than they do. And God wants us to be rid of self. And so here in Philippians 2, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... 
But fill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And he's reminding us, for this unity, you need to put away self. You need to be thinking only of others and thinking of the Lord and what he would have us to do. Unity requires dying to ourselves in our own opinions. And I think of um, even Saul. I was reading the other day in 2 Samuel where he was told to annihilate all of the Amalekites. And he said, well, I'm just going to keep the good things. And so then Samuel comes to him and says, well, what is this that, I, that you're doing? I can hear this bleeding in my ears of the, the cattle. And he said, oh, no, it was the people that did that. And he says, no, God told you to annihilate all of them. And then the interesting thing is, is that later on, a descendant of the Amalekites is, I just forgot his name, Haman, there we go, Haman, and he's the one that's trying to get rid of all of the Jews. And if Saul had obeyed God in the first place, there possibly, we don't know, God's sovereign, wouldn't have been issues later on anyway but choosing to be wise in his own eyes and thinking, but all of these goods and these people, this is all good stuff. I just got rid of the bad stuff. But that's not what God told him to do. So making sure that we're really listening to the Lord and we're not being selfish or being wise in our own eyes or changing that. And God allows suffering to help us. I saw a quote by Spurgeon, and I thought this was really good. And he was talking about how He had gout a lot of his life and other ailments, and he really struggled with um, how um, weak he felt at many times. And then he said, I'm afraid that all the grace that I have got me comfortable and easy times and happy hours, and all of that could probably lie on one penny, all of the good things. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Affection, affliction, I'm sorry, is the best book in a minister's library. So even though we don't really like suffering, it sure brings us close to the Lord. But that's also a choice. We can either become bitter and overwhelmed by it and turn away from him, or we can allow him to draw us even closer to him. So making sure that we are being rid of self. And then the second one is to be considerate of others. Consider of others here. But in lowliness of mind, looking at um, the rest of verse 3, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So it's not saying don't look out for your interests. God already knows that we're going to be doing that anyway, right? We're, all, we're kind of selfish human beings, and we want to make sure that we're doing the right things and looking out for our own interests. But we're also supposed to. We're supposed to be stewards. But not only that, we're also supposed to be looking out for the interests of others. And Romans 12:10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. This makes me think of a time when I was at school and all of a sudden I get a phone call and Dave's on the other side and he goes, honey, I'm so sorry. I said, what, what happened? Because he never calls me, so I knew something was going on. He would usually just text like, I love you all throughout the day or something, but he doesn't usually call. And so he's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, babe. I don't know what happened. I'm so sorry. I was like, what's, what's going on trying to calm him down? 
And he said, I just, I made a mess all over the kitchen. And I said, okay, well, I'll come home soon and I'll come check on you. And he goes, okay, I'm just, I'm so sorry. So he's, when I come home, he's sitting on the floor and he's kind of like this in a fetal position. And there is banana pudding and glass everywhere. <laughs> and he had gotten to the point where he was trying to help me to show that he loved and cared for me and trying to help diminish my load coming home from school and having to do everything. He was going to start cooking for us. And if you know Dave, he doesn't do anything half-heartedly. And so he was making homemade French bread. He was making chicken cordon bleu, whatever it was that he could do. It may take him all day, but he had supper ready when we got home. But it wasn't just, you know, like hamburger helper. We talked about that the other day. It was real from scratch stuff. And so this day he had decided banana pudding was just the perfect thing to go with whatever the rest of the meal was. And as he was cooking, he forgot and left a burner on on the stove. So when he took the banana pudding out in the glass pan, he set it on that burner and then kept working on everything else. And then pretty soon he started smelling something and he realized it was the glass pan, so he picked it up, and when he picked it up, it just exploded because it was so hot and just went all over the kitchen. And so I came home, and of course, you know, I'm trying to help him get out of the kitchen without stepping on glass and all that kind of stuff. And we fin I finally get him over to the bedroom and calm down, and then I come back, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have never seen banana pudding in so many places. It was everywhere. I think I spent two hours just cleaning banana pudding and glass, and the whole time I'm like, oh, he was so sweet. This is a lot of work. <laughs> so needless to say, that was the last time he cooked for us, because after that he was way too nervous. He's like, I'm going to blow up something else. But um, it was very sweet of him to try. But that was his thinking of others, and he told me, he said, if I start missing you, then I decide I'm going to serve you. And till this day, he says, someday I'm going to go to ladies' retreat and tell them that I'm a house husband and how you can help your husbands when you love them is to serve them. But don't blow up banana pudding. <laughs> <laughs> so he was trying to help and he was trying to think of others. And he still does all kinds of chores for us around the house. He's the one that does the laundry. He won't even let me do it anymore. And I tried to tell him, I always did it. I know how to do it. He's like, no, because you mess up the system and whatever else. <laughs> so I guess there are benefits to that. I don't have to do laundry. But um, so thinking of others and putting yourself in others' shoes and doing whatever you can to help them and um, just making sure that you are thinking of other people's needs. Sometimes I think it was mentioned about... Um, other people having needs in the church and just noticing them. We don't always notice everything. We're pretty good at kind of hiding issues that we have or needs that we have or we don't want to ask. But sometimes we need to be the ones to go and pursue and to ask. And um, there's the other aspect of sometimes when people are struggling, they don't know what to ask for. You're just overwhelmed by all of it. And I know when we were going through um, Dave being sick and trying to figure out what was going on. People would say, how can we help? And I'd be like, I have no idea. We're just, you know, we're just going somewhere else. And every once in a while, someone would just come over and just drop off a meal and say, hope this helps. Or we'd go outside and our lawn had been mowed or whatever it was. But we didn't even always know how to ask for help.
So just noticing some of those things and noticing the people in your church and something that you can just do for them. You're usually not going to make anybody upset by coming and dropping off ice cream like Joan does or things like that. So thinking of other people and their needs. Then the next one would be being mindful of Christ. Christ shows us here in this chapter in 5 through 8, verses 5 through 8, the ultimate example of humility. And when we're trying to figure out what in the world we should be doing or how we should be humble, Christ gives us this example. And there is this missionary, Stephen and Emily Foreman, I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but they were missionaries in North Africa. And one of their, well, their quote that's there on their book they often said, we died before we came here. So they had already given their lives on the altar, Romans 12. They'd already said, my life is yours. Whatever you have for me, Lord, I will do it. And it wasn't too long after they had been in North Africa for a little while that um, Stephen was murdered. It says, early one morning, just down the street from the local mosque, gunshots shattered the silence. A young American missionary lay dead. Stephen Foreman was murdered by Al-Qaeda extremists. And his wife wrote this book called We Died Before We Came Here. And she shares the story of their ministry in North Africa amongst the Muslim people. And she says, we knew there were going to be costs, but we believed wholeheartedly that the risks paled in comparison to what God called them to do. And she said Stephen was often saying that sharing the gospel with these people that they were amongst was a matter of life or death. And it really is. It's a matter of life or death for them, where they're going to spend eternity. But we don't often see it that way. And he felt that urgency to share Christ. And he was actually uh, murdered that day. Just someone was trying to steal something from him. And he was kind of fighting back, and then they just shot him. So it wasn't necessarily because of the ministry itself. It wasn't someone that was mad at them. But it impacted because even the governor later, someone in um, government there came to him later and said, I don't know how, came to his wife and said, I don't know how you're forgiving these people. They were extremists. They didn't, you know, they didn't respect you in any way, and how could you forgive them? And she said, I had the perfect chance to share God's love. And she said, I had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because of the relationship he had built with so many people. And she said, despite this hardship that it caused their family, and they eventually left the mission field and um, started serving here in the United States, and she eventually remarried as well. But she said, all of that was just because of Stephen's ministry in those few months that we had. He made a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. And we were able to share the gospel many times because of that. So we never know what God's going to call us to do. Maybe he's going to call you to a foreign country. Maybe he's going to cause your family to have sickness like our family and take you out of the ministry or out of being a missionary. But whatever it is that God has for you, he does have a purpose, and we've seen this as we've talked to this weekend. And I love the quote that she has here. She says, Christ is more precious than what you can lose, and he is more precious than what you can gain. So either way, he's more precious than anything, either losing something or gaining something, and keeping that eternity in mind. And you can see in... Um, 
verses 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So he is our perfect example, and when we are struggling either to understand what other people need or just out of selfishness, then we can remind ourselves of the perfect example of Jesus Christ giving himself completely. And you can even, as you remember, even that passage where he looks at the Father and he says, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's what we need to do as well. So then we need to be surrendered to God. And we can see that in those verses that we are to be humble and obedient to God, putting others first and being surrendered to him. If Christ did all of this for you, if Christ did all of this for you, how can we not but do the minimal of what he asks us to for him, right? He doesn't even ask huge things of us, and yet sometimes we're very overwhelmed. I remember sitting in um, doing my devotions one morning. Uh, we'd only been in Texas for about a year or so, and sitting there and thinking, okay, Lord, is this what it's going to be like for the rest of our lives? Am I going to be getting up in the morning, helping Dave get ready, um, getting the kids to school, spending the rest of the day making sure everything is okay, the kids coming back, and this just the same thing day after day after day? Or do you have a real plan for us? What is it that you want us to do? And we had felt that God was calling us to the ministry years before and had surrendered. And I have to say, even to this day, if either one of us are sitting under the preaching of his word, we're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go to Japan. Let's go to wherever it is. We still have that burden, and he still has the burden to preach. Sometimes it's hard for him to just go to church because that burden just wells up within him again. But God knows that, and he has shown us that he does have a plan for us. And when I was doing my devotions, I came across this verse in Deuteronomy 8.16. And it reminded me, um, God is meant talking about the Israelites and how he brought them through all of these difficulties. And he said, but it's the God who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you, but to do you good in the end. And I thought, I don't see it right now. I don't see how this is necessarily good for us, but I trust you. Because right now, obviously, you're humbling us and you're testing us, but it's for good in the end. And we can see over the years how that good has come to be, maybe not in huge ways, but just different little things that God has shown us and that without whatever we are going through, we wouldn't have experienced those good things. And we probably would never have been at faith being able to teach um, there and help these students. So God is good, and he does take care of us. And I think that was probably one of my, most of the songs that we've been singing this weekend, why I'm crying through all of them, is God is good. He's going to hold us fast. He's going to take care of us, and we can trust in that. So how will we be faithful, be rid of self, be considerate of others, be mindful of Christ, and be surrendered to Christ? And then as we see that, we now see our lives as 
a testament to him. And we can say with Paul at the end of Philippians, where he says, um, Philippians 2, my place 17 through 18 that's why it says yes and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me so if for some reason God chose to pour our lives out as a drink offering to help one of you praise the Lord and praise the Lord with us but the same thing for you Maybe your life is feeling like it's difficult and you're going through trials, but God is allowing you to pour your life out as a drink offering, and hopefully that is helping other people around you too as you consistently are faithful to him and help others around you. So here's our family now, and God has been gracious, and he has been good, and hopefully he has found us faithful. So I'd like to sing this song with you. I don't know if you remember this song. As I've been singing it to different people, they're like, oh, I think I've heard that like a long time ago. I didn't think I was that old. But <laughs> it's called Holiness is what I long for. So I want us to sing this about holiness, and then I want us to change the second verse to be faithfulness. And it's what we should long for no matter our circumstances, no matter if you're stuck in a chair or a bed for the rest of your life you can still be faithful and you can serve him. <laughs> 